Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ISV Society podcast. So excited you're here and so excited for my guest, Jay McBain. He is a speaker, author, innovator in the IT industry, as well as the chief analyst of channels, partners, and ecosystems at Canalis. Welcome, Jay. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. And I just a little backstory. I saw all your information on LinkedIn. So I thought, hey, I'll just reach out to you, see if you'd be interested in being on my podcast, because I'd love to have thought leaders and influencers from the channel on here. So I was so excited you said yes. Absolutely. So before we get dive into the questions, I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about yourself, let the audience get to know you. Yeah, sure. I've been in the uh, channel, uh, <laughs> partnerships, alliances, ecosystems for 30 years. And I've worked with really big companies like IBM and, and Lenovo running channels. Uh, I was a founder uh, of a startup that built channel software, kind of generative AI 10 years too early. Uh, so a failed startup uh, owner, but raised a bunch of money and obviously um, you know, thought through uh, partnership problems at a, at a technical level. Been an analyst now for, I guess, over six years, working at big analyst firms like Forrester and and, and now Canalis, which is Latin for channel. Oh, nice. And, I didn't know uh, that. You know, very focused on the ISV market and very focused on how it all comes together and pretty much focused on, on what we're going to be talking about today. Yes, I'm so excited. And we will share the images that you have in the background. People can't see about our question, my questions and how I came up with them um, in the show notes. But I figure we'll dive into why do we need to think about the channel globally? Yeah, so just the, the word channel itself, uh, you know, when you hear the word for the first time, it kind of conjures up, you know, certain thinking. And for most people, and especially, uh, you know, C-level people and, and board-level people today, channels is short for channels of distribution. And in the world today, the $106 trillion that we spend in 27 different industries, 75% of that is bought indirectly. So when you think of channel, you're like, I bought my car from a dealer. I bought my TV from a retailer. I bought my jar of peanut butter from a grocer. Yep. That's the way we think of channels of distribution, which forever has been kind of the cash register, the point of sale of how we buy stuff. And we didn't really think beyond that. And, and most channel professionals were geared on revenue and how much can I sell? And you call up a partner and say, how much did you sell last week? What have you done for me lately? Mm -hmm. How much do you sell for me next week? And, and it was kind of that type of relationship. But the thing we know now is that pretty much everything is partnerships in the world. And we know that the average customer, for example, has seven partners they trust. And out of those seven partners, you know, six or more of them will never collect their money in a resale type of fashion. There's this huge non-transactional, but very, very influential channel. And this is where ISVs have mostly fit. Mm-hmm. When you run, and I did run a SaaS company, your board, and especially when you're raising money, are very clear that they don't want your P&L filled up with a bunch of resale revenue. Because when they go sell your company, they'd rather you, you know, be a 10x valuation than 10 cents to the dollar, which a resale dollar looks like. So they don't want you doing resale. They also really don't want you doing any services. You know, a service that's done by a system integrator or a managed service provider is maybe worth a dollar per dollar. Again, they're trying to sell your business for $10. So the cleaner your balance sheet and your P&L can be about just selling software and let all the services, let all the resell, let all the other stuff go out um, somewhere else. 
uh, is important. And this is why you think globally. Okay. Because in the old channels of distribution, if you're trying to sell hamburgers or if you're trying to sell cups of coffee, you get to a franchise moment where I need a hamburger restaurant on every street corner. I need a McDonald's or Starbucks on every street corner. It's a distribution problem. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's thirsty. I just got to make sure within a block or two, they can go buy my product. Where So channels of distribution were always regional, like within 50 miles of a truck roll. And I got to make sure I have the capabilities and the capacity to sell my product, you know, every 50 miles around the world. So my global strategy of channels was just country by country, state or province by province, state, uh, city by city, just making sure I had enough cash registers out there to sell my product. Nowadays, almost every company is global that doesn't collect money. When you have skills, and this is really important for ISVs. When you have skills as a partner in front of a particular buyer, it could be a marketing buyer, it could be a seller, it could be a financial buyer, it could be an operations or HR buyer. There are partners that spend 100% of their time servicing a particular buyer. There are, secondly, partners that spend 100% of their time servicing an industry. They don't care who the buyer is, but they service mid-sized banks mm-hmm. or small pharmaceutical companies. That's all they do is they focus on a one of the 297 sub-industries. Third, there's partners that spend their entire life focusing on a particular segment of the market. You know, we care about, you know, 50-person firms. We care about 499. We care about only enterprise, large enterprise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, knowing that partners cover a segment or a sector of the market instead of a particular buyer or a particular industry. We do know that there's partners that are geographic in nature. I cover Singapore. I cover uh, Northern Scotland around the Inverness area. No, I cover Cleveland. There are partners, number four, that cover certain product areas. And this is, you know, for ISVs, really important. Like, who are the partners that cover cybersecurity? Who are the partners that just cover uh, compliance or just cover, you know, PC break and fix? There's 250 categories of services that, that you could you could build your company around. And then finally, there's all kinds of models. Some buyers, you know, will buy in a managed services model. And that's now 488 billion. So one out of every $10 spent is managed crazy. around the world. They might buy in a product-led growth model. And many ISVs kind of approached PLG as a way to do it. They buy in a project-based model. They buy in a usage or value-based model. They buy a subscription to consumption based model. There's just, there's 20 different ways they can buy. So you start looking at the seven trusted partners around every one of your prospects and you figure out that there's, you know, millions upon millions of permutations mm-hmm. of who surrounds your customer. All of those permutations are global in nature. Interesting. Wow. It, it's, it's crazy. Like I, I've been, the last few years, I'm sure you've noticed this as well as like, as I've been diving into the different ERP spaces, a lot of the ISVs that are in other countries are trying to make their way over here into the U.S. and establish themselves here in the U.S. and vice versa. A lot of the U.S. companies are now trying to establish themselves in the U.K. or wherever and and trying to get that global presence, which takes, I feel like it could take some time and some work, obviously, to do that. Yeah, it keeps me very busy. But, you know, the first question, though, is, you know, most ISVs uh, know their TAM. Mm -hmm. This is how many billions of dollars that we're after by building our product or or a platform. 
you know, what they don't know is how much of that overall TAM is direct sold versus indirect sold versus marketplace sold today. And then what that looks like next year, the year after, the year after that. Marketplaces are growing at 86% mm-hmm. compounded. So, you know, I need to know not only how my product is sold, but I need to know, you know, how that changes over time. And I need to know how that changes because in Europe, there's a bigger chance that it's um, in, uh, indirectly sold through a reseller through distribution, where in the US, it might be more directly sold. Mm-hmm. So I need to not, not only know my TAM, but I need to know my SAM, my service available market, my routes to market, my go to market strategy. And then I need to know my obtainable market, my SOM. And so these are you know now conversations we're seeing at, at SaaS companies okay. at the board level, which even a year or two ago, you know most you know SaaS leaders didn't really get into the routes to market and go to market and how much of it goes indirect. So that's the transactional strategy. I need to make sure that there's cash registers, you know, to buy yeah. my hamburger, you know, right. at, at every street corner. So, and in SaaS, for example, it's only going to be twenty or thirty percent. You're not selling PCs or storage or security where it's going to be 90%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the initial conversation and why channels have always been kind of at arm's length in ISV is because if it's only 20%, I have bigger fish to fry on product fit and in sales and marketing. Right. And I don't have a restaurant on every street corner. Maybe that customer would drive a bit further or, you know, you know, jump through some more friction to buy my product. So I don't really need to franchise first, but what you do realize is I'm now in front of an integration first buyer. You know, for example, in consumer, 79% of people won't buy a car unless it has Apple CarPlay or Google Android Auto. So that integration is going to be everything. Whatever you did to design your car and bring them into the dealership, you're going to lose like four fifths of your customer across the street because you don't have the right technology integration. For the 200,000 ISVs out there, how they work with others is now important, more important than the price, more important than your service, your support, your brand reputation. We now have customers saying, I would buy a product that is 80% as good as a competitor if it works better in my sandbox. So now in an integration world, I have to look on the average SaaS deal today. If I look at deals done by Salesforce, by ServiceNow, by Workday, Mar- Marketo, NetSuite, HubSpot, if I go up and down the list of SaaS deals, the average deal size is seven layers. So I'm always going to get sold, whether I'm that opening platform, I am a service now, mm-hmm. or I, you know, layer seven of the deal, which is a little $10,000 add on mm-hmm. for a particular industry or buyer type, somewhere in between those seven layers, I'm going to be sold as a team. Not only are there seven partners surrounding my customers, there's going to be seven products and services bought on right. every transaction. So the way I team is now a non-transacting way of talking about partnerships. I may, I have to make sure out of the gate to get product fit that I integrate upwards and downwards in front of the buyer, in front of the industry, in front of the geography, in front of everything. Uh, that's day one. You, you know, you can't wait three years to do that. Right. Uh, second is I got to make sure that I'm thinking about the seven people that my customer or my prospect trusts. I'm reading their eBooks. I'm listening to their podcasts. I'm going to their events. I'm joining their association or peer group. That's who I'm collecting information in my first 28 moments through my trusted lens into the industry. That's where I went first when my customers started asking about Gen AI. I went 
first to my trusted set of watering holes Mm -hmm. to hear what my trusted people were saying about it. So if I'm an ISV, I've got to think about that and and think about all the hundreds of events. I got to think about the 67 associations, the 143 social groups, the uh, 100 podcasts, just like this one that are highly, highly trusted. And I got to make sure that I'm either getting endorsed or I'm reducing friction in all these places. And another thing just hit everybody at once, which was the end of the cookie. If we were rich enough, I could go pay Google and Facebook and others for some early customer data, what they were thinking, where they're going, what their buyer intent was and sentiment. Well, I can't do that anymore. There's no such thing as a cookie anymore. So we're not a product on the internet, which means all the third-party data that we might've relied on in MarTech and AdTech in the past has to move to second-party data. So in the first 28 moments when somebody buys a car, the best chance for a manufacturer to get into those moments is usually when you go configure the car on their website. And that's after probably 14 moments of where they've taken 365 kinds of car down to a a set of cars that they would actually go configure and price on a website. So you've already missed the first 14 moments. And then after they configure and get to the right car and it's the right color and has the right rims and they're so excited about it, then they leave you and go download the invoice price your dealers pay for it. Then they download the back end mm-hmm. rebates and then they show up at the dealership. The fact of the matter is you missed all 14 of those moments because you can't buy that data anymore. Right. Now you got to go partner with Motor Trend Magazine. You got to go partner with the, the guy on YouTube that's racing your car against a Tesla. You got to go partner to get second party data. And so this is non-transactional. You're, you're not, you know, right. your dealer is already your partner, of course, exclusive partner. But you're, the person who owns the dealership also owns like five other competitor dealerships on the same street. So they're not even as motivated as they were 20 years ago, you know, to get the deal. They just want to make sure the customer's there. They don't care the brand. So this is just a huge problem that ISVs face. And usually smaller companies with smaller budgets and partnerships become everything. Mm-hmm. Get a customer to the dance, get them on the dance floor for the first 30 days and then keep them a customer for life. It's now just an entire partner journey that's around that. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. Definitely a lot of work. More, more, way, as you know, way more work than it used to be. <laughs> so in regards, I, you kind of touched upon this on, on you know, leveraging others in this ecosystem, such as influencers. So there are 14 spheres of influence that you have on the back. Where should ISB ISVs be visible and how often? I'm assuming this would be daily at least, depending on who what they do, but would love to hear your insights on that. Yeah, right in the middle of the chart, I have a big be visible every day. Um, and, and that's what it takes. Uh, the smaller you are, the more you're going to rely on community. Because you're not going to run a Super Bowl ad for $7 million. So, you know, kind of TV is out radios out, billboards are out, like the old school, and you're not selling software on a billboard anyway. Mm -hmm. So now you're trying to say, okay, I'm surrounding my customer. If you were able to ask every one of your prospects, every dollar of your TAM, you're able to go and ask the three questions. What do you read? Where do you go? And who do you follow? You know, you get the seven trusted partners, you get kind of their, you know, they're not out reading, you know, a hundred magazines a day. But there's one or two that they might subscribe to. And, you know, we all get three or 400 emails every morning when we wake up. There's one or two we always open. Mm-hmm. It might be a 
personal hobby that we go and read about boats or tennis or cars or something, but there's always the business one that you trust. What happened yesterday? What do I need to know to do my job today? And when you get to ask your customers and then ask your partners those questions, those are the spheres of influence. So if I'm trying, if I'm an ISV, I'm selling marketing software, MarTech, and uh, there's 11,039 competitors on Scott Brinker's MarTech stack. I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, there's budgets across all 11,000 of those companies to try to break through the noise and clutter. The, the, the way you want to do it is you can't do it randomly. You can't just shotgun and hope, you know, mm -hmm. hope is a strategy in this world. You'll get drowned out by the clutter and noise in the market, but you want to surround yourself in the places your customers and partners are. And then you got to, you know, you'll create your own watering holes. And the one I have published here has a thousand of them, but that's more of a broader technology. Most ISV, actually every ISV would not be that broad. That's the way, you know, Microsoft would look at the market and, and say that Microsoft needs to be in 85 magazines. Microsoft needs to be at 218 events. Microsoft needs to, so if you're not Microsoft, and you're saying, well, my buyer kind of looks like this and my industries I serve the best look like that. And the, the regions that we're in are here and the segments of the market we win are here and the, the other technology adjacencies who sell with us are here. And then the models we sell. So if you go through those six vectors again, you're going to find out that you might have a hundred watering holes. And those hundred watering holes will split up 14 different ways. There are events that your um, customers and partners attend. There are podcasts that they listen to. There's certain social groups, could be Facebook or LinkedIn. It could be subreddits. It could be Discord channels that they, they subscribe to. There's peer groups that they're in. There could be distributors and other vendors. You know, they might go to the ServiceNow event. They might go to the Salesforce event or a Microsoft event um, or be in that community. So. There's 14 different ways your customer and your partner get smart. The cheapest way to do, obviously, selling and marketing is intercept those points of influence. And then out of the 100, let's say, you can stack rank them by cost. If I went to Dreamforce, I know the minimum you know, to set up a booth at Dreamforce is like $50,000. If I haven't raised money and if I'm kind of in a tough situation here and I don't have $50,000, while that might be a good event for my buyer and, and to have a lot of people walk by, um, it might not be good for me. It might stack rank down on the list because of the cost. Well, here's another event and it's, you know, a hundred people go into a holiday inn in Wichita, Kansas, but it only cost me $5,000 to go to that. It's much more intimate and I can collect 75 business cards. I can have 10 solid sales conversations and, and get two new clients from that. The cost to acquire a customer at $5,000 versus the risk of spending 50 means that all 100 of those things should be stack ranked by you as a, as a you know, head of marketing at an ISV. And, and just A-B testing and making sure that we're spending the least amount of money possible for the highest return is how you manage communities. Trying to be omnipresent, trying to be in front of our customers so they see us that magical seven times, which is another number seven. But that's in marketing, you know, they want to, you want to be there trusted. And if you're speaking through their trusted mediums that they've already built for decades, 
you've already earned that endorsement and you're already adjacent to that trust. And you don't have to do that hard job of building trust. And you can do it without people. 75% of your buyers already don't want to work with salespeople. <laughs> so in the that 75%, it's all digital and it's all community driven. You're already there and you're providing it in an automated way versus you know hiring more salespeople or you know, putting more planes in the sky with channel managers or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I try to do that too. Obviously I go to events because that, and I think about it from my perspective, like I go to events that make sense, but yes, you definitely have to kind of take a step back and look at the influencers, look at where you should be, where you should be posting daily or networking with daily. So it's, it's definitely, a, and I feel like it's a, a labor of love and it does take time. So you gotta, you know, be diligent about it, be consistent about it, but it does pay off in the long run. And be very specific about names, faces, and places. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say here is in this future business that we're in and all the macro challenges we're facing right now as an industry, no one is creating really fancy charts, slides on PowerPoint. Nobody's creating frameworks and nobody's creating like wonderful playbooks and templates and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. you know, to keep our jobs and to keep our companies growing, we have to roll up our sleeves and get to ground level detail. So when you create that list of a hundred watering holes and you start stack ranking them, go get a, you know, a junior, um, uh, intern on your team or go hire a Fiverr or something to go double click on all hundred of those things on the podcast, not only who the host is, but start scoring who the weekly guests are at that event, go score who's on stage, how big the event is. And, you know, you might get two points if it's a hundred people in Wichita, you might get eight points if it's a thousand people in Vegas, go score the communities, the associations, who sits on the board, bigger association that might be worth eight points. Smaller association, that might be worth two, but you can create a list in the world that I did here um, on that visual with 14 spheres. Mm -hmm. I actually scored 5,000 people. Oh, wow. And every time they did something, they got more score. So I, you know, kind of equaled my algorithm, which was visibility equals influence. And it ended up being true. You get eight points for this, two points for this, eight points for that, two points for this. You start to separate from the 5,000. And I ended up publishing the top 100 in okay. order instead of alphabetical order i just lit literally gave them a score and said this particular person is the most visible influential person in the world if you're in the 488 billion dollar managed services industry so that person was emboldened a little bit like holy smokes but everybody already knew it when right. you ask 80,000 msps they would have named this person by name and he ended up changing jobs a little bit later but he created in his ISV that he worked for, name of Datto, that company went public and then went private again and was bought for $6.2 billion recently. The owner of the business, which was you know, a 30-year-old you know, working out of his mom's basement from Connecticut from the early days, became you know, $1.5 billion richer. Easy. They never had a selling or marketing engine differentiated from any of their competitors. What they did have? is the rock star community team that was visible every single day in every single way around the 14 spheres. And he's now left there and joined now what is now the fastest growing distributor in the world called Pax8. 
Oh, so yep. there's another roll-up of ISVs, <laughs> another go-to-market. So on the transactional side, the number one fastest growing distributor for ISVs, which is a cloud-only distributor, and he's running community along with a team that's now created this fastest growing, highest valued distributor on the planet. So every ISV can do this by getting detailed. Go to your 100 events, go digitally and download all the names and score them. Every single ISV on the in the world, all 200,000, should have a top 100 list posted like I do behind me, should have a top 100 list of your mini Kim Kardashians. <laughs> and you should have somebody, and it could be your CEO and founder, it could be your marketing person, but they should be community-led. Not only you're attending these watering holes, but partially later at night at the hotel lobby bar, mm -hmm. you should be schmoozing the 100 people. And you should be getting one of your people either by hiring them or by getting them there into the top 100 because they'll be the most visible, influential people in front of your customers and partners. And you'll know all the inside gossip, all the inside mm -hmm. baseball, the money ball to make this all happen. You're going to have one of those people in your particular focus area of your business. And this is it. It's not playbooks anymore. It's literally lists of people, a hundred of them and checking them off. Do they know who we are? Do they know enough to be dangerous? And then third, would they endorse us unprovoked? A list of a hundred watering holes. Yep. Are we there? Are we there by proxy? And just absolute execution every single day and measure the heck out of it to show how much pipeline that connects to and how much closed business for very, very little cost, almost no human cost mm -hmm. to automate that. And the best ISVs, the fastest growing in the world, just get this. Right. Definitely. All right. Are we on our last question already? <laughs> there it is. Okay. What's the total, total addressable IT market by category and segment? And where do ISVs fit? So businesses and governments this year around the world will spend $4.7 trillion on, on tech and telco. Out of that $4.7 software makes up $750 billion of that. For every dollar of software and hardware that a business or government will spend, today they'll spend $2 on services. And that's the way to think about your partners. You know, you could make $100,000 on a deal, they'll make $200,000 if they have the right services and can convince the customer to outsource you know, a reasonable amount. But on bigger pieces of SaaS, it could be upwards of $6. Salesforce is $6.19. HubSpot is $5.80. That's the economy. Inside SaaS, which is eating up most of the software world, we're at you know, north of $215 billion this year of SaaS sales. But for every dollar of SaaS, there's $2 still sold on-premises. Not to say that, you know, SAP and Oracle and IBM are out selling new stuff, but all of the maintenance and all of the, mm -hmm. you know, upgrades and, you know, people that are just very difficult to forklift the 85% of world data sits on premises today. And that 85% is managed by pretty old school software, but old school software that works. Right. Maintained. It runs, runs your banking machines. It runs your airline industry, it runs industry by industry, you know, that's the piece SaaS will over time, 
And, and most of those traditional software companies are converting to subscription consumption models. But, you know, there's 11,000 pieces of marketing software. There's 5,000 pieces of financial software. There's 200 pieces of channel software, you know, all these stacks everywhere. They're growing faster than on-premise by an order of magnitude. And the yeah. new model of consuming uh, by usage and by value models uh, software is the new way forward. We've got a new buyer within the next year, which is a millennial aged buyer, which is very open to subscription consumption models. They're very open to buy that on a marketplace. Yep. They're very open of the rules of seven that I just said. And so the world is looking really strong for SaaS. The 20, 30% growth models many companies are, are seeing industry-wide will continue. The, the rest of software will be relatively flat. A lot of the hardware categories mm -hmm. are relatively flat. And unless you're in generative AI, which is growing at 59%, whether you're wrapped around the public clouds that are still growing, Microsoft announced yesterday growing at 29%. Unless you're still in those worlds, um, you know, that's going to differentiate yourself from yeah. you know, where that 4.7 trillion uh, lands. Totally agree with you, Anne. Sorry if you hear my dogs barking. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this was so much information. I feel like everybody's going to need a notebook and a pen just to take down all this nugget of information that you shared and just you know take a step back and look at the perspective globally versus influencers versus where they fit into this ecosystem. I think that you provide huge value and information for every ISV out there and hopefully they'll um, take some notes while they listen to this. So thank you again for being here with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week to the ISB Society podcast.